Our talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Hey guys, welcome back. It's Doug. It's a bonus Saturday podcast. We recorded this Friday podcast before the Alabama schedule news came out. So we had it in the bank and there's no point in saving it. So I've been wanting to experiment with the Saturday podcast because um, believe it or not, even though there's no football, I feel like we have that much to talk about. So this is referenced as a Friday podcast, I think maybe in the course of the podcast. I cut out a bunch of Friday references at the beginning and a bunch at the end. If one slips in in the middle, we don't have an editor. I'm just one man. So don't let it confuse you. This is a bonus Saturday podcast from Cleveland.com. It's Buckeye Talk. It's me and Stephen and Nathan resetting everything we think about Ohio State football for the 2020 season, just to get it down so that you know exactly our view on the offensive line, the secondary, the defensive line, Ryan Day, the assistants, the schedule, like everything. It's a reference point. And I think it's good to reset sometimes. So that's what we're doing. I'm not going to guarantee we're going to have Saturday podcasts in the future. I can look at all the numbers of how many listens we get. If this doesn't get as many listens, then we probably won't do more Saturday podcasts. If it if it decreases the number of listens on the Thursday and Friday podcast, we probably won't do Saturday podcasts. But if it feels like you guys want it and you listen to it, I have an idea of how to use Saturday podcasts in the future. So again, in the course of this, we had called this the Pud Friday podcast, which is pin us down. In reference to Market Down Monday, this was making us say what we think, the Pin Us Down Friday podcast, the podcast. And then Stephen suggested we call it the Pin Ourselves Down podcast, which was the pod podcast, right? Pin Ourselves Down. So anyway, I took all those weird references out, but maybe one slipped in. But just remember, it's Saturday. We just got a little messed up because of the fantastic, wonderful Alabama-Ohio State news. So again, if you didn't listen to that on Friday, make sure you catch that. It's me, Nathan, and Steven talking all about the Ohio State-Alabama series for 2027 and 2028, plus Michael Casagrande from AL.com stopping by with the Alabama view on things. But for now, this is a bonus, 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 bonus Saturday Buckeye Talk. Love you guys. Here we go. If you wonder what do these guys actually think about this team for 2020, we're going to, in quick, pithy little capsules, tell you. We have 12 categories just like running through the team. If we do four minutes total on each category, that's like a full podcast. So it's like a reset. You can save this podcast. You can refer back to it. You can use us, use it to call us on stuff. We might refer back to it if we forget what we think. Some of this might be familiar, but it also might be unfamiliar because it might be like, oh, I didn't think that guy thought this about that. I thought he thought the other thing, which is why we're doing it, because I don't even know what I think sometimes, much less what Stephen and Nathan think. So that's what we're doing. We're going category. The guys know what's up. So let's I'm – I'm not going to buzz us, but I'm going to try really try to keep it to around four to five minutes per topic. And let's get rolling right off the bat. What do we think about Ohio State's quarterback situation in 2020? And the thing that we said, it's not stat-driven. It's like, how good will it help them? Will it hold them back? That's the general vibe. We'll let Nathan start explaining what Nathan Baird thinks of Ohio State's quarterbacks and what he expects from them in 2020. Go. So I look at Ohio State's quarterback situation for 2020 as, for all the poker players out there, being like all in on an outside straight flush draw. Like you have a lot of cards that can that can win you a huge pot here, and that's Justin Fields. If 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 everything goes according to plan, the odds are really in your favor that you're going to have huge production from this position. If something doesn't go right with Justin Fields, then this probably isn't a national championship team, and you've you're probably losing that all in. What are the things that you think maybe wouldn't go right? Is it just injury or is it something just, else? Just his health. Just his health. I, I, I think his – I mean, he's he's a proven commodity at this point. Um, 
for lack of a better term. I mean, his, his production is a proven commodity at this point. And I think there's even, as we've talked about just a, a couple weeks ago on the pod, there is room for that to even grow. Um, so as long as he's healthy, I think sky's the limit for what production Ohio State's going to get out of the quarterback position because it's going to be him. It's going to be him out there doing all of the things he does in all facets of the game. It's just that if there is, there isn't like, if, if this were two years down the line and you had Justin Fields and then both of these guys who are true freshmen, maybe even just one year down the line, had a full season of college football. These guys don't even have a full spring yet because of what happened. Um, I think it does leave open the question mark of what is attainable for this team if Justin Fields isn't quarterbacking all of the important games. All right, Steven, go. As long as he's healthy, I think he's going to win the Heisman in 2020. It's that plain and simple. He's in the best position to do so. I think they're going to throw the ball a lot, which means if anybody's going to get anywhere near what Joe Burrow did, which means 55-plus touchdown passes, I'm not going to put the 60-word on him, but I'll say 55-plus. He's in the best position. They have a talented wide receiver room. He's got a quarterback guru as his head coach who, who loves to throw the ball down the field. He's got the arm. He's got the legs. He's got the full package. As long as he's on the field, Nathan's right, they're a national championship contender, and I think he's the highest winner. I think – the stats maybe won't be quite as outrageous as some people think. I think he will be totally in control and dangerous at the same time. I think they will limit his running in called runs to inside the red zone when they need him. Um, I think he will let it loose on some scrambles and kill good teams at times with his legs. It's easy to forget because he was injured at the end of last year how good of a runner he can be. I think he will throw a few more picks because he will put up some more 50-50 balls, even though he is tremendously accurate and has a tremendously strong arm. I think it's all out there for him. I think this is the year that I expected when he got here, um, and and I have no doubts about him. And The thing I am most curious about is how they use him as a runner because I think, I think he's – there's no doubt about him as a passer, and I also think he's – potentially so dangerous as a runner, just how they want to use him. So to me, it'll be more in the scramble game than in the called run game. But I think, I think a lot of the time, maybe on critical third downs, I think he's going to wind up with the ball in his hands. And as much as we made fun of the JT Barrett quarterback power and quarterback draw in the past, I think we might see some reversion to that just because of the questions at running back. But I, I just think, I think he's going to have a huge year Absolutely in Heisman contention. I could see somebody jumping up, right, and maybe somehow he doesn't win it. Um, I just – I don't think he'll be as defined by stats as he will be defined by just when you watch him play, you think, my gosh, that guy is awesome. Um, I'll start with running backs. So what do we think of the running back situation? I am kind of worried about running back. I'm a little skeptical about Trey Sermon being – peak Trey Sermon of what he was at Oklahoma because he hasn't been that for a year. I question whether Master Teague, even if he's healthy, is really a number one Big Ten running back. Um, I think the injuries could kind of mess them up. I think I might have been more worried about it before the offseason. I think I'm equally as worried, but I think they'll be okay. I've come around more to not that I really think, oh, yeah, the running back room is going to be really good. I've come more around on the idea of I still think the running back room might be kind of average by Ohio State standards, but they can win anyway. They can maybe win it all anyway. I just think if you're anticipating somebody really popping, I just have my doubts about that. I know that I'm wrong a lot, so I won't be shocked if I'm wrong, but I'm still there with very legitimate questions kind of about the whole room. Steven, the running backs. I'm worried um, just because it's just too many things you don't know. We don't really know what's going on with Master Teague right now. We don't know what's going on with Marcus Crowley. We don't know what's going on with Trace. It's too many things we just don't know for me to sit here and say I have any level of confidence in there. The only thing I have confidence in is what I think their usage rate might look like. And not the, not the numbers, but the actual way they use them might be similar to the way that Clyde Edward-Hilaire was used at LSU last year in the way that Travis Etienne was used at Clemson, where they're complementary guys and not necessarily the, the driving force of the offense, which in a world where I think they might have a two-back, go back to a two-back system situation, no one's going to have necessarily explosive numbers, but their uses will be similar when you combine it and look at it in that, in that light. Nathan, running backs. 
I similarly to you see a lower ceiling. I'm not someone who is expecting Trey Sermon to, as we talked about recently, to have a, some kind of a blow up season, but I'm also not especially concerned about just the run game production in and of itself, just because again, this offensive line is going to be talented. I think what's, what's, going to be interesting is do you get through a whole regular season and the running game is just sort of there right it's just kind of an afterthought they're winning games the winning games with their passing game they're winning their games with Justin Fields they're winning games with maybe some um some guys emerge on defense and the run game just kind of gets lost in the shuffle and it is almost an afterthought and then but then when they get to a postseason or even when they get to that game at Penn State is that where it shows up? Is is there is because it only really takes the one game where somebody can exploit the thing that isn't elite level and make you rely on that. when otherwise you don't have to to win the game and you can't do it. It only takes the one time and and so is that what we end up looking back on the season being like? Well, the run game was good enough except for that one time it cost them. And I do think that's a very possible scenario. And then I think like Justin Fields might run it 23 times against Penn State. Yep. Yeah. Also. Yeah. I think he might be the bailout plan. Like, oh, oh, they're stopping that. Oh, they're stopping that. Okay, Justin, we're going to run zone read. Don't give it. Keep it no matter what, which isn't the best way to run that. But I could see I could see scenarios like that. it turns into almost, you know, Jalen Hurts style a little bit in that game where you know Jalen Hurts was that entire offense last year, whether it was throwing or running. And that's maybe where, you know, they kind of adopt that style because it's, you know, at Penn State. And, and again, yeah, not every week, but because you need it. But I think that's a good yeah. comparison, Stephen. He's All just right. as powerful as a runner. So Right. Uh, Stephen, we'll let you lead off on the receivers. What do you think? I was excited. Um, but the lack of a spring, I think you, you still have some excitement, but, you know, with a little bit of reservation. Um, obviously, Garrett Wilson – Chris Olave might be one of the best receivers in the country, and Garrett Wilson is going to start showing why he might be one of the favorites to win the Belitla call for 2021. We know that, but there's four other guys who have to be out there, and because there's no spring football, as we alluded to on the Thursday pod, that might be an opening for Jalen Harris to, you know, kind of you know, have an advantage there and get on the field early. But the fact that those four other receivers didn't have that spring, you have to have a little bit of reservation just because – they lost valuable time and valuable reps that they really needed for guys who are going to be in the rotation, especially G. Scott, Julian Fleming. Nathan, receivers. Yeah, the word that comes to mind to me is, like, precocious or, like, it, it seems like this is a group that is – you've got this mix of youth but also realistic expectations for something really special. I think also it's a position where I expect the quarterback talent to – be able to produce that kind of passing game production. I hate, you say, I hate saying produce production, but th- I think the the passing game production is going to be there because of Justin Fields, regardless, to some extent. I don't know that he needs elite, amazing receivers. And the fact that some of these guys have that ceiling, though, is what sort of sets a table for something p- potentially really special in the passing game this season. So, Stephen, are you, are you just a little – less than, hey, they're going to be awesome at receiver, which I think is where a lot of fans just may be because of the recruiting and because of Garrett Wilson with just their general expectations, just seeing the raw talent. Are you a little less than that? A little bit. I'm right on that level next to that just because the spring is valuable, man. And I thought, and when you look at what Garrett Wilson, you know, how he kind of progressed through the season, you thought those two outside guys would have that same level of progression as the season went on, they would get better and better. And then by the time the Penn State game and even the Michigan game, they would really start popping as they get into the playoff. But they just lost six months. And so you have to, you know, those first couple of weeks have to keep that in the back of their head, your head when they're out there on that field. And you go, man, that doesn't look as good as it maybe should. Oh, yeah, they didn't have 13 spring practices. I'm in love with Garrett Wilson in the slot, which we all know, which I – was from the moment it came out of Ryan Day and Brian Hartline's mouths. Um, I think he, he's obviously more explosive than K.J. Hill, which is not a knock on K.J. Hill. I think he will do things in there. He's a pure receiver, which Paris Campbell was explosive, but he wasn't a pure receiver. I think he'll do things in the slot potentially that 
we haven't seen an Ohio State receiver do from that position. He also might move around a little bit, right? They might not. They might be a little less stuck to slot guy and outside guys because if you just have three receivers, then maybe they can move around a little bit more. Um, I think he might end up being their statistically their most productive receiver because I could see Justin Fields just like relying on that spot on the field. Um, I think Crystal Blabby will be really good, and I, I just think they'll be better at every position because I do think in the end Mac and Victor last year were like pretty good. But I think even with the young guys having to ease in a little bit, I think they'll be better at the one outside spot just because, like, Olave is a year older. I think they might even be better in the slot, even though K.J. Hill is the all-time leading receiver because of Wilson's explosiveness. And then it's, if the question is, can Julian Fleming and, and, and G. Scott be and, – and Jamison Williams, like, be better than Austin Mack and Ben Victor, that rotation spot, for instance? I think the answer might be yeah. I think the answer might be yeah. So I think even though the spring matters, I think it's just possible that there will really be a level of explosion and dynamic playmaking like across the board that is just higher than we've seen at Ohio State in a couple years um, and is kind of in line with what I think a lot of pe- a lot of people who are excited about the recruiting, what they are expecting. Nathan, let's go offensive line and let you start there. Sorry, I lost my notes. Um, I, I the, the word that came to mind for me here was backbone. Like, I feel like this is maybe what you look back in several years. And I know that Justin Fields is talented. I know that Sean Wade is talented. I know that what they've got coming on the, from the um, from the receiver group is talented. But I think we look back in five years if Ohio State wins a national championship and have a, a true appreciation for what this offensive line was. Um, Thayer Mumford being a third-year starter at left tackle, obviously the two guys in the middle, and then whatever they end up with at left guard and right tackle, um, there's enough candidates there that I think they're going to get sort of a cream of the crop situation at both of those spots. I think this is going to be a really special offensive line, and it's again, it's the reason why I feel like no matter who they line up in the backfield, these guys can go out and just kind of be the – the, the road pavers in front of that and, and really set the stage for the running game against pretty much any opponent they play. Who do you think is going to be the right tackle? Do you have a strong opinion that you are left putting, out. putting us down? The, the, I mean, right, I, the right I, tackle I, between Johnson and, and Petit. I Frank. guess I'm, oh, I'm still driving, driving the bus for, yeah. for NPF just because that's who I was driving the bus for way back when, before we got to see nothing. So I don't have okay. any reason to think that he isn't still the guy. Okay. I um I think they'll be good. I think they'll be very good. I, I have I think Harry Miller will be good at the left guard spot. The one thing I, and I you know I hate like I you know talking about injuries with anybody. Thayer Munford has just had a couple physical issues in his time here that I wonder if like an off season away, whatever camp's gonna be like, if there's just a, something a little hinky to the season. I just I'm a little bit wondering about. For just from a physical standpoint, Thayer Munford holding up, and then if for some reason your left tackle can't play some games, now you're trying to figure, figure stuff out. Even though you seem to have two other t- tackle candidates on the right side, I just think that maybe could throw a monkey wrench into things. I, I don't remember what I said before. I don't know that I have a strong opinion on who's going to win the right tackle job, um, but I would not be surprised if it's Nicholas Petit Frere, but I also think it's, I mean, I don't know that I'm anything more than 50-50. Paris Johnson might be ready to be awesome. I'm not a huge fan of true freshmen playing on the offensive line, no matter how good they are. So I think it's better for them probably if Nicholas Petit Frere wins it. Paris Johnson is your like your swing tackle. And then if something happens to Thayer, Paris Johnson's ready to be your left tackle, which he's then going to be your left tackle starting next year anyway. So I think very good. I'm just a little apprehensive with the delays and the missed time about Thayer Munford's full season. Steven. I agree with that sentiment on Thayer Munford. If I'm not mistaken, he didn't participate in the spring practice in 2019 either, but at least he was still on campus and getting whatever necessary treatment and stuff he needed, you know, to stay engaged and everything. It's a whole other situation where he's just resting, but he's also sitting at home doing makeshift workouts the best way he can depending on what his home situation is obviously I don't know that but that's my only reservation is the fact that you know he hasn't been necessarily at the woody getting the things he got last year that had him ready to go 
Um, obviously, there's no worries about Josh Myers or Wyatt Davis whatsoever, and I think Harry Miller will be fine. Um, and like you, I'm, I'd probably, I'm 55% Nicholas Petit Frere wins that job just because he's been in the program a few more years. And yeah, why not have Paris Johnson be the swing guy so that way he has experiences at both spots since we know he's a left tackle of the future. And then just when you're strong on the interior of the offensive line, it really allows you to do some stuff yeah. in the run game sometime. And so I can see Wyatt Davis and might be getting out there and, and killing people in the run game. Um, let's do tight ends to finish the offense. I'll start that. I would just say I'm not holding my breath on the Jeremy Ruckert explosion just because I've been here too long. And I don't automatically think that this is magically going to be the year where they go crazy with the tight ends. Um, I think Luke Farrell is like a really good overall tight end throw it to him in the red zone a little bit let him block you can rely on him every play um i just i just don't know what like a 50 catch 45 catch 40 catch jeremy ruckert season would look like with the other things they have in the offense i just i just don't know what it would look like because i thought we saw it in the opener last year and then it wasn't it um and I mean, they just, they do have all these receivers, right? And so, I mean, is it somehow if the young receivers aren't ready that Ruckert somehow ends up with more targets there? He's ready for them. I just don't exactly know how it's going to happen because I think with Garrett Wilson in the slot, again, tight end often means middle of the field. It's like, if you have a couple guys in the middle of the field, I mean, you might just be throwing it to Garrett Wilson a lot. So I think they'll be good. I think they can play two tight ends when they need to. They can block in the red zone. They can do some play action when they want to. I just think if, if you're hanging your hat on Jeremy Ruckert breakout year, not because of him, just because of what Ohio State does, I just don't know that it's going to happen. Steven? I think Jeremy Ruckert's ceiling as far as catches in 2020 is 20s catches. And that's a quality season for a guy who's pretty talented, who they don't throw through that often. Yeah, 14 last year, so getting to 20 is not out of the question. But I think the tight end group of any of these groups I'm probably the least worried about just because you're probably expecting the exact same thing we've seen for years here at tight end. Nathan. Yeah, I I see just a better version of last year. The the word that immediately came to mind for me was grizzled. This is like a grizzled group. I mean, it's, it's, you got two seniors and a junior as like the three main guys there. And then that junior has been a, a, a guy, I know he didn't have a huge role as a freshman, but you know, a guy who's, a significant role last year too. So you know, it was three really veteran guys. And I, it's just one of those positions where, again, I, if people are expecting them to suddenly have, you know, the equivalent of, of Gronk and, and Aaron Hernandez or whatever, that kind of where they're throwing to the tight end that much it is just absolutely not going to happen. But I think it's also a group that is going to answer the call every time that you need that leaping catch in the back of the end zone in the big team championship game or whatever. I just feel like it's a group that, several times this season will come through in a big moment and remind people that they are talented, that they are reliable guys, even if they aren't prolific receivers, because that's not what the offense asks them to be. Well, we said this is not going to be stats driven. Just as a reminder, last year, Jeremy Ruckert had 14 catches. Jake, uh, Jeremy Ruckert had 14. Luke Farrell had seven. Jeremy Ruckert in his two year Ohio state career, 15 catches, 155 yards and four touchdowns. All right, we're going to flip to the defensive side of the ball. Steven, we'll start with you on the defensive line. We'll lump the ends and the tackles together. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think there's – I have some optimism. I think, you know, Tyron Vincent might be Larry Johnson's opportunity to have his version of a Marshawn Lattimore, a guy who just been riddled with injuries, and all of a sudden he finally gets on the field, and voila, first-round draft pick. Outside, I think, you know, Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith are interesting. Is Zach Harrison on the, you know, boast a young trajectory? If that's the case, then he needs to start, he'll start flashing at some point in the season, maybe late in the season. But, you know, Tyreek Smith, another guy where he dealt with injuries all last year, was kind of hampered some things. So does he take the next step? So I maybe have more questions about that group then I, maybe I thought I did before we did this exercise, but there's a lot of questions with some high optimism, but I don't know if I'm, I'm not necessarily all in, but I don't have doubts either. Who will be their best defensive end? I would say Tyreek Smith out of him recognizing that this is, a, this is his moment as a third year guy who's finally healthy. All right, Nathan, go ahead. 
I think it's fine to have cautious optimism for this group, but right now I do still would still call it cautious optimism. I think as much as we've talked about how maybe the sum of the parts could be greater than any individual, you know, after losing someone like Chase Young, I, they need some star power. They need someone that can step up and be a real force. And it probably is both on the interior and on the outside. They need someone to emerge and really kind of present some authority, not be Chase Young level, but be someone, you know, if we're, if we're still come to the end of the season, we're talking about this being, you know, kind of a solid defensive front, you know, the same kind of defensive front that maybe like a, a Michigan state was putting out there last year or whatever. I, I don't know if that gets this defense where it needs to go. I think there needs to be just, more of a presence than that. But as Steven was saying, I think there's reason to believe that that presence is in there, whether that's Tyreek Smith, Zach Harrison on the ends, whether it's Tron Vincent and Tommy Togai, Haskell Garrett in the middle. I think there's potential for that kind of force to emerge, but we haven't seen it yet. Who do you think the best defensive end is going to be? <sighs> Zach Harrison. So I think they might be better at defensive tackle than they were last year, even though Davon Hamilton was a third-round pick and by every account obviously had a very good year. Um, I do think there's a lot of upside there with uh, Garrett, Togiai, uh, and Vincent. Um, I think I've come around more on the defensive ends the more we've talked about it. Um, I think it's very possible, and the, and the texters helped me do this. And um, again, if you want to be a text subscriber and, and help change my mind about my job, 614-350-3315. You send a text to that, you get a 14-day free trial, four bucks a month after that. Um, I'm not sure what else I want from Zach Harrison to prove that like he's ready to be like really, really, really good. Like what, what, what has he not done? So I, I, I'm, I've come around more and more in that in the offseason. And then when we did the market down Monday about who's going to lead the team in sacks and, and someone sent in like the, the pass rush stats um, of how often they got home last year and Tyreek Smith really got there. Um, I, I, I think I, I, don't, I don't love, again, I always say, I'd, show me a guy or two who's really a dude rather than all this depth. Show me dudes. Um, I think it's quite possible that Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith like are both going to be dudes. And it might be like, oh, yeah, they're like really totally fine. It's really hard to replace Chase Young. We need to see guys winning single teams like all the time and sometimes beating double teams because that's what Chase Young did. But I have come around more and more as the offseason has progressed. And so it feels like maybe I was underestimating Zach Harrison in the past, and he might just be on the exact path you would expect from a five-star defensive end who is in the hands of Larry Johnson. And then Tyreek hasn't quite been himself, and we've seen that in the past with some guys. When you're a little injured and you're not quite yourself and you get a little bit healthy, you're ready to go. So I am more optimistic about the defensive ends now than I was earlier in the offseason. I do not underestimate how hard it is to replace Chase Young. But I am more open-minded to the fact that not the depth, but the upside of Harrison and Smith on a regular basis, playing a lot of snaps, really, really might be able to get this thing done. Nathan, we'll go to linebackers with you. What do you got? I call this their legacy year. I feel like this is a group that's been, again, more or less intact. I know Baron Browning will be a quote-unquote true full-time starter for the first time this year, and they're losing Malik Harrison from last year. But I, I think this group, you know, especially the tough Borland and, and Pete Werner now going into third years in substantial roles, I, this to me is where they decide what the legacy of this linebacker group was. I think they made the right step in 2019 after 2018, having the linebacker core being seen as kind of a, a detriment to the defense and last year being seen as at least a stabilizing element in the defense. Um, and this is the year to maybe take that up a notch because they're not going to have the, the secondary behind them the way they did last year. They're not going to have a chase young in front of them the way they did last year. And the three fifth year defensive tackles with all their kind of strength and savvy in the middle of that defense, they're going to have to shoulder even more load this year as seniors, they should all be able to do that. 
and then obviously that junior group behind them, it's, it's, they, they they play into this too, because you've got to have some depth. So I feel like this is kind of a legacy year, but especially for these three senior linebackers, what, how, when people look back on this, this, this stretch, this three year stretch and talk about how those linebackers are all together intact really in some way for that stretch, how do they define that? And if it's, it's a team that ends up exceeding expectations on defense and getting in that national championship conversation at the end of the year, I think that, this group probably leaves with a, a, a positive legacy. How good do you think Baron Browning's going to be? I think he's going to be pretty good. I think he could be, I think he could be an, an all big 10 linebacker. All right. Steven linebackers. Okay. Um, you put it on the, the whole senior group as a whole. I'm putting it on Baron Browning and here's why. Ohio State 2017 recruiting class had four or five. Had one, two, three, five, five-star players, and Baron Browning's the only one of that group who has not gone crazy yet. Jason, Jeff obviously did it. Wyatt Davis is the best guard in the country, and you know Sean Wade is already popping up as a top ten pick in, in the twenty twenty-one NFL draft draft right now. Baron Browning's the only one left who right now is on the teeter of being a miss or not. So, I to the question of how good can Baron Browning be next year? I think he maybe his ceiling could be Big Ten Player of the Year, maybe. Him and Micah Parsons kind of battle that out for that award in 2020, but it's it's on him at this point. He's back in the position where he's comfortable and playing the exact role that made him a five-star player to begin with. And so I already said that he might be the team's leader in sacks, which we had a whole thing about on in a podcast in the past, whenever that was. We do a million of these at this point, but it's on Baron Browning at this point. If Ohio State's 2017 class has hit on every single one of its five stars but one, and he's the one, and this is his year to you know, kind of finish that out. Does he have to be good for the defense to be good? Like when you say it's on Baron Browning, what if he's I'm just, I'm just, just the linebacker group in general? I think he has to be, I think he has to be the best line, like clearly the best linebacker and be an all big 10 type of guy for that. Or linebacker. what? Well, like, what do you think the effect of the linebackers will be on the team? Like if he's not that, if he's just okay, is it going to be bad for this defense or do you think they'll be fine? I think it will, I think it will lean towards being bad just because we don't know what the defensive line yet and we don't know what the secondary. And so the most experienced group out there is the linebacker group. And I think we all think he's probably the best linebacker in that, in that room or at least the most talented. So I've been like a Baron Browning stand forever. Um, and I think I'm the, like now I'm the least. Baron Browning-ish guy on this podcast. Like, I, I don't know that I'm locked in on um, him reaching a really high ceiling. Um, I think it's hard. I think I think we understand that he it hasn't gone the way he's wanted to, and some of it hasn't been all his fault. And he's been a good player. That's the thing, too. Like, he's been a good, solid player. He's been a co-starter for the past two years. It's not like the guy's has not been a contributor. He just, like you said, Stephen, he hasn't been at the level of those other five stars. I just think they might be fine, and that might be fine. Same as the running backs. That, like, I don't know it will that it will kill them in any situation if they're not great. I I don't know that there's going to be any big all Big Ten guys in that linebacker room, but I also don't exactly expect everyone to be sitting around and saying like, oh my gosh, they miss Malik Harrison so much, it's killing them, you know. Um, I, I think they'll be fine, but I also think there might be times that, that I don't think Baron Browning in the end is going to be like at Micah Parsons level. And I think when they play Penn State, it might be a reminder like, man, it'd be nice to have Micah Parsons here. So I just think they'll be okay. And it's basically, again, my same attitude as the running backs. I think they'll be okay. And I think that's okay. And um, I'm very curious about Taraja Mitchell, but I feel like he and Tough Borland are kind of similar dudes. And so I'm not putting too much on Taraja Mitchell having like a huge breakout, but I, I don't think the linebackers are like a make or break group um, for the, the title chances of this team. All right. Last position group breakdown, then we'll take a break. We appreciate you guys listening again. Try the text, drop reviews at Apple podcasts. Make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash OSU as we get into the secondary. Um, I think they might, miss Jeff Okuda and even though I think Damon Arnett was overdrafted and stuff like I think 
I've come around to some degree on, you know what? I think Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith will be able to make up enough for the loss of Chase Young. I'm not there as much with the secondary making up for Jeff Okuda and Damon Arnett. I think we just might have some times when some quarterbacks make some throws. I don't know who, because I don't know who the good Big Ten quarterbacks are, but I don't know that this is going to be a lockdown secondary. I think we might have some reminders every now and then of some 2018 stuff where all of a sudden some guys are running free because like in 2018, you know, sometimes those guys were running free on Sean Wade every now and then. Not that it was on Sean Wade, but like Sean Wade's a really good player, but he was young and he hadn't played much. Like are Seven Banks and and Cam Brown like going to be awesome right now? As much as we talked about the Marshawn Lattimore plan. I don't really think anybody in the secondary is actually going to be on that plan. Will Josh Proctor be good? Yeah, I think he will be good. Will he be Malik Hooker? No, I don't think so. I don't think he's going to take banana angles like they had in 2018 at safety, but I just think you might have a few more times, maybe a lot more times this year where it's like, oh man, that was like a third down and six. And like, they just made a throw on the corner and got a first down. Huh? That was kind of weird. And I think you might just have to be ready for that. I don't know that it's going to be a total lockdown secondary. Will it cost them? I don't know that it'll cost them, but I think there might be some nervous second halves um, just because the standard here has been so high. Well, Sean, I think Sean Wade will be really good, but I think you might notice the absence of Jeff Okuda and Damon Arnett, like kind of a lot. Steven. I think last year, this secondary prided itself on the fact that it didn't give up many big plays until Clemson, obviously. But for the most part last season, there weren't a lot of big chunk plays going on. I think that there are going to be some moments in 2020 where some plays are going to be made, whether that's Josh Proctor or Seven Breaks or Cam Brown or Sean Wade. But there's also going to be some moments where they're going to give up a lot more chunk plays. And because of that, there are going to be some nervous second halves because teams like Oregon and Penn State are going to have some 40-yard plays just because, you know, it isn't as secure as it was when you had Jordan Fuller back there and along with Jeff Okuda and Damon Arnett and Sean Wade in the slot. So I think some really great moments, but also against some better teams, expect more chunk plays to be completed by other offenses. Nathan. This Probably isn't completely fair, but I see this as maybe being the group that decides whether this team wins a national championship or not. Or that this team, if it doesn't come together, if this group doesn't get to a certain level, I know that's kind of nebulous, but if if you don't find at least those three guys that you are convinced are frontline playoff contender kind of cornerbacks. You know, you have one in Sean Wade. You think Seven Banks is coming along. That third spot still seems a little bit questionable to me, and we we can't even for sure say it about Seven Banks. So if that group doesn't figure things out, and then Josh Proctor doesn't also take a step up from into from the, the potential that he has kind of flashed into some kind of consistent production, then that this might not be the team. This might not be the team that can get it all done because I think you got to go, you know, you look at, look at the way last season ended. I mean, even with that pass rush and even with two first team cornerbacks on the outside and another NFL guy over the top at safety, they couldn't get it done at the end of the game against Clemson. I mean, Clemson was able to drive at the end of that game. And I don't know that I have more confidence right now that this team would go out and make a stop in that. I obviously have less confidence that this team will go out and make a stop in similar circumstance. So I, this is where you still need to see the most growth in order to fully believe that this is a national championship team to me. So you said if they don't get it done, it could hold them back. Like, do you think they'll get it done? Or you think that there's going to be issues? I am leaning toward having the um, confidence in Kerry Combs and the talent that's here. I think Josh Proctor is going to take a step. I think Seven Banks might actually be good enough and in, in, in getting to that next level. And I think then, then that does leave some question at the slot, but I think if Cam Brown is just like really solid that, then that's probably good enough. All right. That's a position breakdown. We're trying to figure it out. People write this stuff down. Is someone writing this down? I forgot to assign this to one of the texters. Hey, if you're just hearing this now, go back 
<laughs> listen from the beginning again and write all of it down. And, and then send it to us. And then text it to us. Again, you pay us. Can you believe that? You pay us? Ah, gosh, I love it. I love you, Texters. Reminds me of the old uh, Kevin Nealon joke on Saturday Night Live because he did like this more like deadpan uh, weekend update. And it was like, if you'd like a transcript of tonight's broadcast, learn to write real fast. Is Kevin Nealon your favorite weekend update guy? No, I'm a huge Norm MacDonald fan, actually, um, which is going to be the minority answer on that question. But I've always loved Norm MacDonald. Is Saturday Night Live still going on right now? This shows you how much TV I watch. Uh, yeah, they've been doing it via Zoom, I think. Via Zoom. I have okay. not I have not been Zooming it up. Because uh, I know they have, like, a record of how many straight shows they've done, and I was wondering. Yeah. yeah I don't know that it's – I can't that. imagine that it's very good. I don't know. I mean, this podcast isn't very good, but people still listen to it. All right, we'll be back on Buckeye Talk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right, so we did all the position group breakdowns. Now we're going to deal with five other categories. I don't know if this is interesting. Is this interesting, Stephen? Five-second answer. Has this been interesting or no? I think it's been interesting. Nathan, you know, is I, this oh, – that's your – I cut you yeah, off for two it. seconds. Yeah, Nathan, no, that's fine. That's fine. Interesting or no, Nathan? Interesting but not fascinating. That's fair. A little repetitive. I, I People are going, yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it. Here it's – actually, this is almost the thing that spurred me to want to do this. Because when I was at home on my week off, I was listening to you guys, and I thought it felt like to me, Nathan, that you were saying something that I didn't think you would be saying. So as we break this down, the final things, I want to start with still the defense, the overall defensive strategy, plan, belief, whatever. It felt like to me – a couple of weeks ago when I was out, that you had real questions about whether this defense, it's young, you know, it's fairly young, a lot of guys who haven't started before. It felt like you had real questions about it, and it, I thought you had more questions than I realized you had. For the whole defense as a whole, do you have real concerns that they might not quite be a national championship level defense? Sure. Yeah, how could you not really at this point, I think? I mean, you've got, again, you've got three new starters out of four positions in the secondary. You've got even as good as we think Bam Browning could be, he's making a shift. So who knows how that exactly works out. You lose Chase Young off the defensive line, and you lose those three senior defensive tackles in the middle and are kind of turning things over to three guys who some of them have some experience, but Teron Vincent didn't play at all last year. We don't know exactly what he's going to be this year. I don't know how you couldn't have questions whether this is a national championship defense. And I think one of the things that's getting overlooked here a little bit is people think this offense is going to be just like so amazing that it's going to be able to just propel this team as if last year's offense wasn't freaking great. I mean, last year's offense was tremendous. You had a Heisman Trophy finalist quarterback. You had a running back run for 2,000 yards. So, so, I mean, I just – I don't understand how if people think this I, – I, I don't understand how people couldn't have real questions about whether this defense could be prohibitive from winning a national championship. Because last year the defense was the driving thing for the offense a lot of times and set up the offense in these great positions to be as great as it was. While this year it's going to, I think, be the opposite to some degree where it's the offense that has to be the driving force – while the defense just needs to be somewhere near the in the middle of what 2019 was and what 2018 was, but just, you know, lean more towards 2019, but not fully that. And it'd be fine. So it's that great defense and great offense last year did not win a national championship, did not even get to the national championship. Yeah, but okay, that's and, and that's a lot of things went into why they didn't get to the national championship that we're not going to get into because we've been over it time and time again. The point is the fact that last year's defense was so good that all, at, at times, it literally put points on. It literally put points in the hands of the offense. It's in here. We're gonna give you the ball at the 45 yard line and go do something with it. The defense in 2020 is not gonna do that as much as it did in 2019. But the offense is gonna still be able to do things, even if it gets the ball at the 30 yard line, a lot more often than it did in 2019. So the I, one thing I, I feel do, like you're arguing my point. I, but I do. Th- I do think that stand is a little interesting to me, Nathan, because. If you're, if the thing is, well, look how good they were last year and they didn't win it. Well, they were a national championship level team. 
all of last year. They didn't win it because it's really hard to win it. And we all agree they were, they were the better team than Clemson probably. They didn't win. And then, by the way, there happened to be this freaking monster that came out of nowhere with the ridiculous quarterback and 14 NFL draft picks in LSU. So if the, if the argument is like, well, they didn't win it, well, they, didn't, they did not, correct. But they were good enough to, right? And so I think there's a difference, and we're not necessarily picking, are they going to win the national championship? They were good enough to win the national championship last year. So the question to me is, will they be good enough to win it this year? Not a guarantee that they will, but that they would be competitive and right in the mix. And, of course, you need some bounces to go your way. Um, and, again, and I agree with what you're saying. And it's not – it's not that I'm saying they are not, because I don't think I've seen enough. We didn't get to see them this spring. So there's so many questions we still have. But I'm saying I don't know how you don't have questions right now whether or not this defense is good enough. Okay. On the defensive, uh, do you have any questions about Kerry Combs, that transition from Jeff, Caff- from Jeff Halfley, Kerry Combs calling the defenses as a defensive coordinator? Is that a concern for you at all? No. Okay. Steven, your overall view of the defense – Kerry Combs, strategy, plan, overall talent level is what? I think it's low. I'm, I don't have a lot of concern. I think they'll be fine. I don't, I'm not as worried about Kerry Combs being a first-time college defensive coordinator as maybe some other people are just because he did it at the NFL level. You know, actually, and, I don't know that anybody's worried, actually. I'm not sure who's worried. Okay, then cool. Then we're, we're yeah. all on the same page. I'm yeah. not worried. He did it in the NFL, and the Tennessee Titans were really good last year. So I'm not he worried about – He wasn't the I'm, coordinator in the NFL. But he was an NFL coach, yeah. I'm I'm not worried. I'm not worried about that. I don't, yeah. I'm not worried about Kerry Combs as a coordinator, and I'm I'm not overly concerned about the defense. I have questions, yes, but I don't think you know they're not going to be terrible. I'm not worried about 2018 happening again. Yeah. So I get confused too because I did a po- again. I did a podcast the other week where we did like the whole thing, and I talked for an hour, and I think I said it there, but it's like I, 2018 is just out the window. It's not even worth mentioning that when you talk about this, this team, because that's, it's not going to be that it's guaranteed. It's not going to be that. I don't think it'll be as good as last year, but I think it'll be fine. I think Kerry Combs will be fine. I still think they'll play single high safety a lot. I'm not Mm -hmm. sold that two safeties in the big 10 is the way to go. I think you have to have that in your pocket probably um, for maybe when you need it late in the year. And they didn't really have it in their pocket as much as they needed to for Clemson. Um, but I'm still anticipating the defense will look mostly like it looked last year. I think it will definitely be good enough. And I do think the offense will have to carry it more. I think, Stephen, your idea that, like, they were both good last year, but the defense kind of propelled the offense. They'll both be good this year, but the offense will propel the defense. I think I agree with that. So, But I, they're young, but I have come around that even with my questions about the secondary, I just don't think we're going to necessarily look back and be like, well, the defense cost them. The defense held them back from being what they could have been because, you know, they gave up 14 points in the last five minutes and they blew it. So, okay. Overall offensive, just vibe. We did the whole LSU podcast comparing it to the LSU offense. We don't have to do a ton on this. Steven. The offense, the way it will operate, how good it will be is what? One of the best offenses in the country. That's what I think. Even with the running back room being weird, this is still going to be one of the best running, best uh, offenses in the country. Nathan? I think it's going to be a step up from last year. I think maybe part of this conversation, though, has made me wonder if it's going to be some kind of launch off of what last year did. And maybe it's more just a step up, but not like some kind of power of 10, power of 20, like huge explosion beyond what they did last year. I think, you know, because of not having someone like J.K. Dobbins in the offense anymore, um, I don't know. They're still going to be very strong, still going to be, but I don't know that I expect them to go out and just be able to overwhelm everybody. I don't know if it's going to be that much more than what they had last year. They're going to get tested more early, right? They just mm-hmm. steamrolled people. And again, we know they had Wisconsin in that 10-0 start, but they just steamrolled people to such a degree. Oregon, Iowa, Penn State, all in the first seven games, even Michigan State, I don't know. I mean, I, I just – I think I think it won't be as much of a steamroll in part because of the schedule. But I do think – I think mostly – 
the step up from Justin Fields will probably mostly make up for the step down at running back, I think is what my conclusion is on that. Okay. Three more categories, two more, and then we'll get to the overall final thing where we're not going to necessarily pick records, but like just kind of what you vaguely expect. Assistant coaches, is there anybody, this is mostly a Kerry Combs and Corey Dennis question because they're the only new new guys, right? There's nobody else new, right? It's just those two. Yeah. Steven, any worries about the assistants? Combs, no, not at all. Dennis, yes, but only if something happens to Justin Fields where – even if it's only for a series, C.J. Stroud or Jack Miller have to come on the field. Because I'm not – obviously, Justin Fields isn't a finished product, but, I mean, he's as close to finished as a college football quarterback as he's going to be at this point. While with Jack Miller and C.J. Stroud, they're on step one. So if they have to come in and do what Chuggs had to do in some games last year, especially that Penn State game, I mean, then it's like, all right, Corey, Dennis, what you been doing? Okay, but as far as Fields goes, fine. Yeah. He'll be no. fine coaching him. Nathan. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't – would any Ohio State fan trade this coaching staff right now for any other coaching staff? I mean, I, I think this coaching staff is going to be the one of the strengths of this team. It may be kind of the – you know, it may be the reason why this team is a national championship team, even despite all the other things that we've talked about that are question marks, right? I mean – um what they've done with this offensive line, what Kerry Combs could come in and do with this secondary. Um, and even with the Corey Dennis thing, like in the scenario Steven's talking about, I, I just don't know how much to, to how much of that to put on Corey Dennis's shoulders right now, especially because he didn't even get to have a whole spring with these true freshmen. I don't know how much I'm, I, I've already said this before. We talked about this before. I'm not really judging Corey Dennis that much on 2020. I think his biggest thing is 2021 and beyond. So I, I think this assistant coaching staff is, um, I mean, it's it's it right now is the foundation, the backbone of this program, probably more even than Justin Fields and and some of the things they've done on defense. They've they just built a great staff here, and I think it's the reason why this team will be a, a playoff contender, regardless of these questions we talked about. Wrong. If they didn't have Justin Fields, they'd be dead. Players first. Players first. Players <laughs> first. About, players okay, first. Okay, yes. Players I'm ta- first. Players I'm first. I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm talking about from just the longer stretch. The, yes, right now they couldn't win a national championship without him. Yes. No, but they have to keep getting good players. Okay, yes, yes. They're middle managers. I'm not going to go down that road again. You guys know what I think there. Here's my concern about Corey Dennis. You guys know where I stand on this. I think Kerry Combs will be fine. Justin Fields says great things about Corey Dennis. They have a great relationship. I'm a little – I'm going to be looking for if somewhere, like, in the middle of the season, does, like, Justin Fields get a little loose? Does he get a little – does his footwork get a little off? Does he, does he just do something where it's great to have a great relationship with your position coach, but your position coach also has to push you and drive you and demand you to be better. And I'm sure Justin Fields is a self-motivated guy, but I'm just on the lookout for it's a young coach. They had a previous relationship that seemed very good and friendly, but it's just different when you're in charge of the room. And I think you have to coach Justin Fields hard. And I just am curious. Of course, Ryan Day is there as a backup. I am a little bit on alert for that, where the game where it's like, man, maybe it was a really easy game, but Justin Fields just looked a little off. And that's not an indictment of anybody. I just think it's sort of how life works sometimes. And I think it's possible. All right. Last thing is Ryan Day. Uh, Can I ask you one question real quick uh, regarding Dennis? How much is the age a factor in the why you have that opinion? A the lot. That he, okay. Um, just to ask the question, I mean, there it, it, at the next level, I mean, there's a lot of times the coaches and the, and the players are around the same age. So do you do you think that uh, I don't know? This is a good simulation for how Justin Fields can handle being at that next level where you are more of a peer. Corey Dennis has never done this before. So it's experience probably more than age. Mm. Um, I don't understand the comparison. I don't care. I mean, I don't care how old NFL coaches are. Um, Corey Dennis is like practically as old as the players and has never been an assistant coach on any level. And I don't have faith in that. So 
um, that's not going to change. Like, the, I get it. Joe Brady's young or whatever. I get it. I get it. But, but at least he was a coach. Okay. Yeah. Doug, if someone said that they, they understand your argument and they would agree if the quarterback was different for 2020, does that make sense to you too? Like, if they, they have enough confidence in Justin Fields' makeup oh. and his his work ethic and et cetera, et cetera, that they, they don't see it as being a bigger problem as then if it were some other, and you can fill in the blank of whatever head case quarterback you want to. No, 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 no. I, yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, obviously the player matters obviously a lot. Um, and like, I don't think this is going to like derail their national championship hopes, but even your best players, I think need to be pushed. And so I just wonder about a guy who has never done it. And I do think sometimes they really emphasize the familiarity. Corey Dennis knows what they want, but like you don't also just want a bunch of yes men in the building. Like sometimes outside ideas are good. So I don't know. I'm just not all in on the promote the young guy who's never done it because he's been around and he's he has a good relationship with the quarterback. I think you can have too good a relation, of a relationship. So I'm on the lookout. I, do I think it's going to ruin their season? No, I think Justin Fields is going to be great. I think I think there could be a loose game, and if it's the wrong loose game, it could be a problem. So that's that's where I am on that. Ryan Day, he has had almost nothing go wrong so far. He has received almost no criticism so far. I have been around here long enough to have seen Jim Tressel and Urban Meyer, who won – Big Ten titles, till they were coming out their ears, people criticize them. People think they'd lost it. It's going to happen with Ryan Day. I'm not saying it's going to happen this year. At some point, people will stop thinking Ryan Day is perfect. I'm not predicting it. I wonder what it will look like. Nathan, just as we think about Ryan Day, is it just full speed ahead or could there? I don't even know what it would look like. But is there any part of you that expects maybe a Ryan Day bump, a speed bump for him in 2020? No, I don't know if it'll come in 2020. Um, again, there's just so there is a lot going for this team. I think really the, the the bump for Ryan Day is as this team becomes more what he put together from a recruiting standpoint. Um, that's not to say that he's impervious to criticism right now because obviously he inherited a lot of really good talent too. But again, it's sort of what we're going back to what we talked about without Washington um, on the last pod. It's sort of like a full, I, I need, I need the full complement of everything before you, I think you can fully criticize or fully assess how that coach has done. And unless something really went sideways, unless, you know, nine and three to bring that up again um, or, or worse, I, I don't know that I see this as being a year where um, where a lot of the criticism necessarily falls on Ryan Day. Steven? No, it doesn't come in this year. I think it comes next year if Kyle McCord, TJ Stroud, or Jack Miller isn't ready because that will be the first quarterback Ryan Day has had at the college level since he's been at Ohio State that he got from scratch. Do you guys think there is a difference between being a first-year head coach who has some doubters, including people who predict you to go nine and three, who uses underdog motivation, who has a new quarterback, who's succeeding a legend? How different do you believe that is than coaching a team that everyone thinks should have made the national title, has a lot of talented people back, and is not going to sneak up on anybody this year? Do you think Ryan Day's challenge this year motivationally, maybe strategically whatever is significantly different than last year or pretty much the same. Nathan. I think it is a little bit different. If they, if they go in this year as the preseason number one, that does change the dynamic. But right? even if they're number two by two votes, I mean, they're going to be one or two, right? They're going right, to be right. one or two. No doubt right. about it. So, I mean, that does change the dynamic a little bit um, because they're not going to be, I don't, he isn't going to have those sort of motivational, um, the world is overlooking us unless you consider that in case, unless you consider being number two to the team that beat you and has a Heisman trophy contending quarterback coming back and a ton of other really good players. I mean, you can, I guess you can squint and make that your motivation. Uh, I suppose you sort of wrote about that to some extent already, but, um, 
I, I, he doesn't have that same kind of tactic in his back pocket that he did last year. So he's going to have to find another way to motivate this team. I think that the motivation this year for them is going to be, we should have won a national championship and we fell robbed. And they're going to keep harping that into players. I mean, the recruits talked about it, that it was already been embedded into their system the moment they got on campus. So yeah, I think that's their motivation. That they feel like they should have won a national championship last year and they were robbed of it. It's, it's not going to be perfect his whole career. Like I'm just, I'm just wondering what it will look like. And, and again, I mean, he's eventually going to lose a game he's not supposed to lose. And people really – I mean, when, when Ohio State lost to Purdue and Iowa, I wrote when they lost at Iowa, has Urban Meyer lost his edge? The guy had lost like four games at Ohio State. I'm just curious about it. I, I can – I you can really talk yourself – and not even talk yourself. The reality, when you examine this team the way we've just done for the last hour – you can really believe that they're going to do a lot of spectacular things. And I think that's a different motivational challenge. I really think it is. Um, I'm not saying it, he, he'll fail at it. Um, it's just funny. Again, I've said before, underestimating a first-year head coach is the best thing you can do for him. Freddie Kitchens and Ryan Day were both first-year head coaches last year. People were eh, – they thought Ohio State was good, but they weren't quite sure. Everybody thought the Browns were going to the playoffs. Freddie Kitchens got fired. Ryan Day is sitting on top of the world. Um, expectations are hard. Expectations are hard. Final, general, we don't have to predict a record, but the general vibe of what this season will be like, what what it will feel like, the level they'll be competing at is what, Steven? I mean, hi, there will be a national – Championship level comp- competition. That's what they'll be competing at. Do you think they're a lock for the playoff, right? Yeah, I do. Do you think there's – is there any – do you think there is a reasonable chance they lose a regular season game? Maybe. Um, to, I, I, I'm more on the Oregon game at the over the Penn State game just because, you know, that crowd's not going to be as big as, you know, it, it should have been. And as you talked to – Talked with on the Wednesday pod, that's a seven to ten point swing. So maybe, I mean, I'd put it more on the Oregon game if there's any game I'm worried about at this point just because of how early it is in the season and it's on the road. But other than that, I mean, I'm not that worried that this team isn't going to be 12-0, and 0, you know, and be a college football playoff team. Nathan. Yeah, in retrospect, last year's team didn't have anything on its schedule that resembled what I currently see in a trip at Oregon or a trip at Penn State during a regular season. Like there was nothing. I know at the time we thought there might be, but it did not turn out that way. So I think there's certainly a reasonable chance that this team loses a game. And it doesn't even have to necessarily mean that this team is bad or has a huge deficiency that leads to it. It's Those are just two really tough games to have to play on the road. So I, I, I still think this is a playoff team, but I certainly have more I have more hesitation about it than I did last year's team um that by were by two weeks in it was like well this team is it, it's like national championship or bust right we were kind of thinking about that team it, it looked like a team that was going to steamroll everybody and pretty much did up until it ran into clemson i i, I still think until this defense shows me some things i i have more hesitation about that so I can't remember if I used this comparison or not, but I came I came to it in thinking about this podcast because even if I have used it before, I forgot it. So it's like I learned it new. You should ask my wife. I'll bring my wife on sometime to talk about that. Living with me is like living with a baby that just got born and opened its eyes to the world because I don't remember anything. So to me, this is new. I've often said, I and, and before – you know, 2014, 15, before 2019, I always said that probably the best Ohio State team I covered was the very first team I covered in 2005, the team that lost two games. They lost to Vince Young in Texas, and they lost to Penn State. I think that 2005 team was better than the 2006 team that was preseason number one and undefeated the whole regular season until the national championship game. I think this could be like that. I think this Ohio State team could be not as good as last year's team and win the national championship. I don't, I don't think those are two divergent things. I think Clemson lost four starting offensive linemen. The Justin Ross injury, I think, is a factor. Isaiah Simmons, right? They're missing guys too. 
Alabama, right? If you have quarterback questions, I do, I said before, I think Alabama actually might be the tougher challenge. There's not an LSU lurking. Maybe, maybe there is, and we don't see it. We didn't see LSU, but man, I don't know that they, I don't think they would have beaten LSU because LSU was like lightning in a bottle. I think they have enough to beat the contenders that you can see. And I don't know that there's a lightning in the bottle team. So I think it might wind up that the 2020 Ohio State team would lose to the 2019 Ohio State team, but not lose to anybody in college football in 2020. And I also think the more I think about how good they are and how much they have and how much people will expect of them, it like ramps up my, is somebody going to bite them feeling, right? Are they going to be, is too much going to go right? All, so much has gone right for Ryan Day. Most of it created by Ryan Day, by the players, the way he's motivated, the way he's strategized, the way he's hired. He's, it's not luck. He creates his own luck. But, man, what if there's a bump out there? I don't know. But I think they're going to be really good. Um, but I don't think we have to compare them to last year because I don't think they have to be 2019 LSU, and I don't think they have to be 2019 Ohio State. And I think that still might be enough to win it all. Okay. Market Down Monday is coming Monday. Nathan, what's it going to be? Market Down Monday, kind of harkening back to when we asked to pick who was going to lead Ohio State in sacks in 2020. We're flipping it back to the secondary, or I suppose other positions too. Who's going to lead Ohio State in interceptions in 2020? Um, Thanks to you guys for listening and putting up with us. We hope that was, as Nathan said, interesting, but maybe not fascinating. Maybe not new ground covered, but maybe, you know, sometimes you want to, you know, you drive the road that you're familiar with. And, and maybe when you drive it, you learn something new. There's a new pothole. Maybe there's a new pothole in there. So write all that down. Please send it to us on text. If you want to sign up on text to send us information about ourselves and pay for the right to do so, send a text to 614-350-3315. For Nathan and Stephen, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk.